Growth Igniters Radio, episode 34. What could the transformation of MBA education mean for your company? This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of growth on the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And right across from me is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Scott. Hi, Pam. I am so happy to be here again with you today. If this is your first time listening out there, the purpose of Growth Igniters Radio is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for leaders to take themselves and their companies to the next level of success. So Pam, what's our topic for today? How companies can benefit from the trend of universities transforming their MBA programs. Okay. You know, it's clear that this trend is growing across a whole range of business schools from the very largest public institutions mm-hmm. to smaller private schools. And of course, this means that a growing number of students of all backgrounds are coming out with new philosophies, knowledge, abilities, all all kinds of things that can add new value for employers. However, it also raises questions about how to foster an environment that attracts and retains this talent. Mm, And uses them to the full benefit. Exactly. And that's why we're happy to have as our guest today, Louis Ruvalo, Director of Graduate Business Programs at St. Peter's University, which is the Jesuit University of New Jersey, and it's based just across the river from New York City. We met Lou recently. And we were fascinated by his story and also how since 2012, he's been leading the transformation of St. Peter's MBA education to meet the changing needs of society and business, as well as the very diverse student population in a smaller university. Lou, welcome to Growth Igniters Radio. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here with you, Pam and Scott. Well, we are delighted that you are with us. So let's talk a bit more about your story. Now, your original background was in corporate management. So what led you to shift gears and then decide to go into academia? Well, in most uh, corporate environments, there are all kinds of things that change on a regular basis, whether it's a new release of a system, a new policy in HR, a new, way to do, a new way to do business and interact with customers. I had the fortune of being able to work for IBM as my first job out of college and learned exactly how much they invested in their employees as their people assets to gain mm-hmm. additional education and understand the full picture and all of the components that went into it. So that always put me into a role of being able to learn new things and also the incentive to be able to clearly articulate what that meant to us and what the change was that I could explain to other colleagues or customers. So I could say that all throughout my entire corporate career, from then till physically joining academia, I was in a teaching type of mode. I spent 19 years at IBM, and even in working in one company like that, I had different assignments within accounting, IT, program management, uh, even did a little stint in education and uh, spent quite a bit of time in corporate litigation. Now, this background included quite a stint at HP and Compaq? Yes, that that came as a, as a secondary uh, career opportunity. 
when Compaq began their financial services organization. That was a specialty of mine that I gained within IBM and then eventually moved up to a global leadership position within Compaq HP before leaving there and then working in a small private company, which was quite a big shift from those global multinationals into a company that was really based out of New York. But between the project management job that I did there and then as chief marketing officer, we took the best of all of those other corporate experiences to take this small private company up another few notches. So tell me, Lou, what advantage do you see going from a very corporate background to an academic background as opposed to a homegrown academic moving into an administrative role in, in a university? Yes. Our academic system in the United States teaches people to be very narrow in their focus so that they actually end up being within the top 5 to 1% of knowledge within a very specific discipline. And that is astonishing when you can learn from somebody a single discipline like that. Unfortunately, in the business world, things are not defined as narrowly as that. And so it actually takes multiple experts around the table to be able to synthesize the full picture. And I find that coming from the corporate environment where our pace and our impact with a customer is much more significant and a much shorter runway that those experiences in the academic arena have caused me especially to synthesize what goes on here. Yeah, well, that makes a tremendous amount of sense. And in our previous conversations, you've talked extensively about how the academic institutions, large or small, really have to embrace the changes that have been going on in the business environment, turn out a different type of student. Can you tell us about the primary forces you've seen that are creating this need? Yes, Scott. I mean, the landscape of higher education is changing fairly rapidly and, and in a very disruptive type of perspective. And I think there's a couple of key areas that are driving that. Number one, there is a, a completely different cultural environment to, the, to academics today than there was back in the 60s and 70s. There are also enormous amount of financial considerations given the cost of education today. Uh, technology has certainly reshaped the picture and, and the different tools that we get out of that. So what universities and colleges are faced with today is some way to differentiate themselves, uh, and that can be culturally or through the curriculum. Curriculum no longer can stay in place for multiple years without modifications. There is constantly new things evolving, so the curriculum needs to evolve with it on a much more rapid base. Also, the structure of faculty. We're seeing there's a much bigger change with faculty coming out of the practitioner ranks, out of the corporate ranks, and less full-time faculty being hired into institutions. And also, what we've always known as a traditional student, the students who are 18 or so years of age that go to a college, there are so many other opportunities now with the for-profits, the, the community colleges, that traditional students no longer exist in the, in the college environment. So mm. what we've always known as the traditional university has changed radically in the last 30 to 40 years. That's a lot of change. And of course, we're also talking about companies and businesses of all sizes having new needs as well. That has to be impacting a bit on some of the choices that you've been making, you and others in different universities about transforming MBA education as well. Would that be true? 
Absolutely. I mean, there's still a, uh, a very strong benefit to achieving a post-baccalaureate degree in the form of a master's degree. The good news is that companies over the last 10 years or so have been increasing their desire to hire MBA graduates, whereas in the early part of the 2010-2013 perspective, we were seeing about 62 to 75 percent of companies having a desire to hire MBA graduates. Now that that number is projected this year to be all the way up at 84 percent. And the greatest desire of companies to hire master's degree candidates comes out of the MBA. And I think it's one of the few degrees that really teaches students to be a master of business. And if we take a step back from that and try to analyze what is not a business in today's environment, we'd be pretty hard-pressed to come up with any kind of solid answer as to what's not a business. That's true. We uh, we hear about uh, music groups that are businesses, and virtually everything that somebody makes money out of is is a business in one way, shape, form, or another. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more with Louis Ruvolo, Director of Graduate Business Programs at St. Peter's University, about what's going on specifically at St. Peter's University to respond to all those changes we've been discussing. Stay with us. You are listening to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, on the web at businessadvance.com. We enable successful companies to accelerate to their next level of innovation and growth. And if you like what you're hearing, spread the good word. Go to growthignitersradio.com, select episode 34, and use these share links for Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at the top right of the page to tell your social media communities all about us. Use hashtag growthigniters. This will help extend our reach to all of the people who can benefit from this series. Welcome back to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Scott and I are talking today with Lou Ruvalo, Director of Graduate Business Programs at St. Peter's University. Lou, how can people find out more about you and the St. Peter's MBA program? They can find information on our website, which is www.stpeters, that's S-A-I-N-T-P-E-T-E-R-S dot E-D-U. Once there, they can uh, select the graduate business program and read all about our program and our curriculum and our distinguished faculty. That's wonderful. And we'll have a link on Growth Igniters Radio episode 34 page to all of this. That's growthignitersradio.com episode 34. So let's get back to our discussion. We've been talking about all these forces that are at work that are necessitating transforming the MBA program in general. Now let's talk specifically about St. Peter's University. You've been actively transforming this program, leading the transformation. How can you see it meeting the new needs of society and business that have not generally been addressed by traditional MBA programs? Well, one of the key things that we see going on in the corporate sector and having been there, you know, experienced it, many of our our premier companies in the United States had a fairly large education and training staff. Through the various uh, financial crises that have gone on, 
they've reduced those staffs considerably to to help contain costs. So mm-hmm. now they look to new hires, especially those with MBAs or other advanced degrees, to already possess requisite skills in the areas of oral and written communication, teamwork, presentation skills. And because the workplace environment is so dynamic, a key skill that that employers are looking for is adaptability. So what we've done within our curriculum is to fine-tune some of the the disciplines that we had in our MBA program. We currently offer eight concentrations within the MBA, and we looked at the curriculum that makes up each one of the concentrations. So, for instance, uh, we have a number of students that are focused on human resource management as their specialization within the MBA. We evolved our curriculum to include three mandatory courses, one in human resource management, one in leadership, and one in employment law. So whereas the breadth of the MBA provides a great number of disciplines for that for this degree, then the specialization creates a certain distinction so that it's it's a breadth of the MBA but also the depth of a specific concentration. And even just our teaching methodology has shifted a lot. Many of our faculty members are industry practitioners. So they are coming to teach at St. Peter's for the love of sharing that information with students. And we use the real workplace as part of our model. So for instance, this term we have a class in international finance. So in a few of those lectures, we're going to establish the key theories of international finance. But then the students are going to take a deep dive and look at the the Greek euro crisis and be able to analyze that. We often say that at the undergraduate level, you know, our, our educational systems has taught us to read and then regurgitate that information onto some kind of exam so that we can quantify the knowledge transfer. However, at the graduate level, we take a different shift to that. It's more of read, digest, and apply. And so by having those theories underfoot and then analyzing what's going on in the current trade journals and in the Wall Street Journal and and other business press, we're able to actually see multi-dimensional type of issues that go beyond the textbook, but we've had the benefit of uh, researching and digesting those theories as a platform to then understand what's happening in today's world. So you're really cultivating intellectual agility, which is so important in any aspect of business. That is a key piece to it. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story real quickly. In teaching a business ethics course, I had a student that wanted to drop the course after about session number six with a complaint that I was not giving her answers. And and that's the whole point. <laughs> and especially in a class like ethics, we're here to help you think, to possess, and to transform with critical thinking skills. And the answer really is, you know, what what is customary today might very well change in our mores 20 years from now. We've seen enough of those changes in our lifetimes that things that were popular in the 20s, 30s, 50s, or 60s have gone by the wayside in 2015. And so it's not about having the right answer. It's about having the right answer for now and for understanding why it is the right answer for now, not just simply relying on the historical perspective that we've always done it that way. So how did she react to this, there's no right answer? (laughs) 
she was a little she was a little startled she was um she was looking for something more finite um but she actually stuck through the class and I, and I have to say we, we I was able to help her channel she had a very strong passion for animal rights and that's exactly how I helped her focus what she was learning in business ethics to apply to the whole animal rights concepts and the way animals are used for testing, uh, some of those other issues that come out. And she was able to analyze those dilemmas with a lot better comfort level as well as an understanding of how to approach that kind of an ethical dilemma. So the world is not a static place. You've got to figure it out as you as you go along. And it sounds like you're really trying to bring that out of your students, which is tremendously commendable. So I have another question. Sure. Uh, you've talked about what you have done. You're not static either. So what additional changes are in the pipeline for St. Peter's MBA program? Well, a couple of years ago, we recognized uh, the changing landscape in the business community and introduced uh, one of our concentrations in healthcare administration. That, um, as we all see with what's going on in the United States, even though that curriculum was built years ago, it changes every time we offer those classes due to the changing landscape. And it's set up that way where at least one of the courses in that curriculum is current issues in, in healthcare. So it is constantly changing. Also across the board, uh, something that we've, we've become more accustomed to in the United States is this concept of risk and managing risk. Um, that is a very key component in our MBA program as well as the MS and accountancy program. And we actually are taking uh, a very strong look right now to transform what was the MIS component within our MBA curriculum and move that concentration more into the area of cybersecurity. Uh, so our our curriculum continues to change as the environment around us changes so that we can keep our students current with today's environment. So important, you know. We uh, just recently were speaking uh, with Tim Hebert of Atrion, one of our episodes that is featuring fusing business and technology and the importance of people in IS kinds of disciplines to be able to think strategically. And that this is something that it sounds like also you're going to be talking about. Is that true? Absolutely. I mean, we offer a class in strategic risk management at the end of the MBA program, regardless of what any student's specialization has been. There is a a capstone course, and we've appropriately named it Corporate Strategy from Initiation to Implementation to recognize the importance that it's not just having good ideas that will bring about change and the right types of change, but also the ability to effectively implement those ideas so that they are appropriately, they will appropriately take take traction and cause the change that was intended. That's very exciting to think about all those things coming up. So we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll speak more with Louis Ruvalo of St. Peter's University to talk about how uh, companies can make best use of their MBA talent. Stay with us.
Did you know that we also speak at events, conferences, and company offsites about top leadership issues related to what it takes to accelerate innovation, transformation, and company growth? Clients have told us that they've gained new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas that have made a concrete difference to them personally, as well as to dramatically increase their top and bottom line results. Contact us today at growthignitersradio.com, the bottom of the page, to arrange for a brief call to discuss your needs and how we can go about helping you to achieve them. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, Scott and I have been talking with Lou Ruvalo, Director of Graduate Business Programs at St. Peter's University, about the changing world of MBA education and all of the wonderful, exciting things that are coming up in the St. Peter's University MBA program. Lou, how can people find out more about St. Peter's University's MBA program? Well, we have a full cadre of information available on our website at www.stpeters, and that's S-A-I-N-T-P-E-T-E-R-S dot E-D-U slash graduate business. Okay. Let's get back to our conversation. We've been talking about how the world is changing. Let's now talk about companies. You know, once these students graduate, they go to go into environments. And something that Scott and I have seen is that companies oftentimes underutilize their best talent, especially if they're coming out with all of these new skills and abilities and and ethics in a way. So what are three things that CEOs specifically can do to foster an environment in their companies that reinforces these new ways of thinking, decision-making, and communicating? That's a great question, Pam. You know, we've seen so many psychological studies over time that have constantly reiterated that human beings are social creatures. But if you think back, you know, once upon a time, business was done with looking into someone else's eye and, and on a handshake. We've moved so far away from that now to, this, to the current structure of corporations, to the technology that we have that uh, people instant message each other or just send emails back and forth. So there's very little social interaction going on anymore. But there's a great need to bring back social interactions. Uh, it could be a lunch and learn. It could be some kind of... Uh, after work gathering, but people need to reconnect with each other. They need to learn, you know, how they're all unique, but that as a, as a team, they can collaborate to bring greater success to the overall company. So if employers could help to allocate some of that, uh, a little bit of time for employee collaborations, that works. And, you know, I, I have to honestly say that as I think back over, over my educational training, I don't think I ever took a course in how to make a decision or that taught me critical thinking. Uh, but there is a, a lot of material out there that can help groups to function more effectively, to be able to absorb the information around critical thinking. And we need to take a step backwards to kind of reinforce those principles. Um, and some of our MBAs coming out of programs at this point are the ones that can do that the best because that's how they've gotten through their education. And lastly, I think one of the key things that we can be doing from a corporate perspective is transparency. 
Um, it's important uh, for the corporate culture to explain what is important and what's not important, celebrate those achievements, and lead by example in that perspective, but to do that in a very transparent arena so that it's very clear what is rewarded and why it's rewarded, because they can emulate those behaviors and be able to demonstrate what brings the company forward. Three points well taken. Let's go back to the first one, the social interaction. You are right about the different ways of communicating and how far-flung people can be. It's It struck me as you were speaking, Lou, that you're really talking a lot about how to integrate someone into the culture and how to inculcate cultural values into people who are working in the company. Is that on Absolutely. point? Absolutely. I mean, the assimilation or the onboarding process, I mean, for anybody joining an organization, they're always going to have some of their own thoughts. Um, but you don't get a dedicated, loyal employee until they have seen an alignment between their thoughts and their ways of doing things and their cultural outlook and how it matches to the company. So students are expecting, in a way, from going through this, that they're going to do well when they are connecting with other people. What other kinds of expectations do you see students who have this transformed MBA education having when they go into the workplace. You know, companies talk to us all the time about the issues of we can't get the right talent. Uh, you know, it's hard to get top talent. Or we so, can't retain, or we them. Can't retain yeah. the talent. So what kind of expectations do you see these, uh, these students having? Well, I, I think the, the question, I, when I look at when I hear that question, I think of it in twofold. Number one, the first piece is attracting them. And so, you know, when these types of students come out of our program and enjoy the connectivity to their colleagues, as they go to interview with these other uh, institutions, you know, they need to feel a little bit of that perspective coming to them, that, that they matter as an employee. Um, and we've certainly seen how the corporate world has been able to eradicate people off the payroll. So they need to feel like they're joining someplace that has some kind of culture. And on the flip side, by connecting them to, a, to the higher good of what the company is doing and, and to recognize their individual talents, it really creates an opportunity for that retention. I can tell you that, you know, I I look at it with my faculty members. They all are employed as a private Jesuit college. We pay a fair salary for faculty, but there's a personal connection that each of my faculty members has and a feeling of satisfaction that they get from teaching here and for the caliber of students. At the end of the day, you know, we've often seen those surveys that say money is not a motivator, where somebody says, I like where I work, I'm appreciated where I work, and those extra dollars that I might be able to get somewhere else don't become a significant factor because you are comfortable and you feel appreciated. And that's one of the things that we've kind of lost, and that's, that's what needs to come back a little bit, is that loyalty and engendering it in your employees. When you, have a, when you have a stable workforce that enjoys what they do, your customers are happy, the revenue comes in more smoothly, and you don't have turnover of personnel, therefore you have a more sustainable organization. 
appreciation is always in style, always relevant. So, uh, Lou, any final thoughts as far as what the transforming MBA education can do for companies and for the business world in general? Well, I think as we look at uh, the various assets that are in a company's portfolio, the two things that impress me the most is that our technology is rapidly increasing and the differentiation between company A versus company B on a certain technology is getting more and more fungible. So there's very little distinction that is coming out in the workplace. But the one thing that is distinctive and will be continue to be the most distinctive are the people assets of a company. So having bright, talented MBA students as employees within an organization gives that company a distinct advantage over their competitors. And treating those MBA students and, and, and employees in, a, in an appreciative way will yield major benefits for the company. Lou, thank you so much for being our guest today on Growth Igniters Radio. Thank you both, Pam and Scott. Our pleasure, and thanks again, and thank you out there for listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. To check out resources related to today's conversation, share on social media, read Lou's bio, find out upcoming events, and open a conversation with us, go to growthignitersradio.com and select episode 34. Until next time, this is Pam Harper. And Scott Harper. Wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to think about. What can we do to create an environment in our company that not only attracts the best of the new MBA graduates, but uses them to their full advantage. Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio are service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniters Radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated, intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses, including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated, are prohibited. All rights reserved.